0: Hello, and welcome to the So, You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast, where we learn about the ocean, share sea stories, and explore ocean careers. I'm your host, Kara Musia. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, do you want to help the oceans? Have you considered a career in marine biology, but maybe just aren't sure where to start? Head on over to my website, marinebio.life. And subscribe to my newsletter. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free PDF download where you'll learn the seven steps to becoming a marine biologist without the degree. Hello, mermaids, pirates, ocean lovers, and land lovers. Welcome to today's episode. Question for you. What did one tide pool say to the other tide pool? Show me your muscles. (laughs) Did you hear about the red ship that collided with the blue ship? All the sailors were marooned. As this is being released, we're in the midst of a coronavirus or COVID 19 shutdown here in the States, and I thought a little ocean humor was a great antidote to the zaniness that is currently happening. Plus, as I've mentioned before, I just love corny jokes. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Sam Craven with Reef World Foundation. Sam currently manages the Reef World Field Office in the Philippines. The majority of her time is focused on working with national partners on the implementation of the Green Fins Initiative across Southeast Asia and the Pacific. In this episode, we dive into pursuing a degree in marine biology in England, what it means to be a conservation diver, and what the reefs in Malaysia and the Philippines really look like, and way more. Without further ado, here is Sam. Sam, welcome to the "So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist" podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, you are a program manager at Reef World and Greenfins. What exactly are these organizations, and what do you do within them? Because I hadn't heard of them before I emailed with you, and they're really wonderful organizations and have great missions.
1: Well, thank you. Um, well, it's a bit of a Tangled web, really. So GreenFins isn't an organization so much as an initiative that promotes environmental standards for scuba diving and snorkeling. And it's a UNEP initiative, but ReefWorld is a UK charity that's sort of the engine behind GreenFins. So we're UNEP's technical partner and we're the ones that develop and roll out GreenFins with um, governments in different countries that have you know, coral reefs that need protecting and large marine tourism industries
0: as well. Great. And UNEP is United Nations Environmental Protection? United Nations Environment Program. Program. So what is your role within Greenfin's?
1: Um, so, as the programs manager at Reef World, it's my role to make sure that when we are rolling out green fins, that it's up to standard, it's up to quality, and it's the impacts that we want to achieve that the work that we do really aligns with our mission and vision, which is to make sustainable diving the social norm. So, diving is such a brilliant platform. Um, there's so few divers that you meet that haven't fallen in love with the ocean because they've gone diving and they've been able to see this amazing thing. So it's this incredible tool to um, increase ocean awareness and, and people's um, desire to protect this habitat or these habitats. Um, but of course, by just being humans and being in the water, we're going to have impacts on that habitat that you know, we're all trying to protect. So Greenfin's really helps steer people um, sort of through the operators, through the dive shop, Staff and instructors, and through the divers, um, to really improve their environmental practices, so that we can experience this amazing ecosystem and still be the ones that are championing its protection rather than causing any damage. Um, and one Green really Fins. unique thing about um, GreenFins is that it's implemented through government, so that would be a very UN-type um, of approach. So, our job at the ReefWard Foundation is to Work with these different governments, um, train up their staff to be able to work with the dive centers. And essentially, they adopt GreenFins as a program within their government. And we provide the support for them to roll out the program up to the international standards.
0: Very cool. So, I want to kind of get into what you look for. What are these standards? I saw on the website there's a 330 point inspection which I thought was incredible and a lot. So what are some (laughs) of these things that you're looking for to make sure that these organizations, these companies are up to the standards that Greenfins is expecting?
1: Well, Greenfins is based, like everything that Greenfins does is based around um, a 15-point code of conduct. So that's for the operator itself, the dive shop, Um, 15 best practices that cover both the day-to-day activities above and below the water. So um, it could be anything to how are they dealing with their waste, you know, on the boats. Do they have ashtrays to stop cigarettes going into the sea? Um, are there dive guides taking advantage of the pre-dive briefings and giving environmental content in those briefings, reminders for people not to touch the reef or not to harass marine life? Um, and it's all about preventing stress to the marine environment. So when an assessor, government staff that we've trained, goes into a dive shop, they go on a normal dive or snorkel trip with them, um, and are basically asking questions and looking around and looking at compliance to the code of conduct. And from that, they use um, like a weighted system to analyze the risks that are being posed to the environment, and go back to the decision maker in the operation and Basically, walks them through what's going really well according to the code of conduct and the areas for improvement. So, GreenFins is really open. It's very um, well, in conservation terms, we would call it the soft approach—more education and inspiring and empowering—rather than the hard approach, which tends to be regulation, fines, um, more of the stick. GreenFins is more of the carrot. So, it doesn't matter what environmental standard you're at. As long as you're improving, you stay within the greenfin system. And that improvement requires everybody that's involved in the dive shop to really get involved. So the manager and the staff themselves to really champion those standards and you know, protect their office. Because eventually that's, that's what matters to them. I and mean, we're trying to protect reefs, but also the marine tourism industry, is employment for thousands and thousands and thousands of people around the world so how do we protect that livelihood and the other ecosystem services that coral reefs give us
0: so you kind of follow back up periodically just to see if everybody's improving and still maintaining the standards
1: yeah that's it's an annual process so the membership's actually free because it gets adopted mm-hmm. by government. so they're the ones who are you know taking green fins on as one of their programs to protect coral reefs And they might report that to um, international conventions that are requiring governments to put in place, put in protection for coral reefs. So, the Aichi biodiversity targets or the sustainable development goals. Um, There's also the International Coral Reef Initiative or ICRI. Um, So, different countries sign up to these international agreements and basically confirm or commit to implementing programs that protect whatever the commitment is asking them to. Um, in this case, we focus on coral reefs. And so the work that they do with Green Fins and you know Reef World's job is to help them understand the value of that work, what it's connecting to in the international arena and helping them communicate that back up the food chain.
0: So does Reef World... And maybe you in that role reach out to different countries and say, this is something that we offer. You have coral reefs, you have lots of diving, tourism industry. Um, This might behoove you to have in your community or is it uh, the other way around and the countries are seeking that extra level and it's kind of putting them on, giving them an extra um, marketing almost tool to do that and also, you know, helps preserve their reefs and their livelihood. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: That's an interesting question because I I'd say that it's evolved. So Greenfin started in 2004, and Refold got involved with it in about 2008, I believe. Um, and so initially, yes, we were bringing GreenFins to countries, but now as it grows, we've we're in 11 countries. Egypt is the latest country to sort of officially join. Um, we find that more and more, it's countries coming to us or members from the diving industry that are asking for green fins and then helping to identify um, which government department would be the right, the right entity to take it on. So we're really seeing a shift in, in how demand is being placed and sustainable tourism is becoming a really big theme um, within the international conservation sort of marine conservation community. It's becoming one of the pillars for good MPA management um and things like that so i was seeing a shift in in the industry and its interest in this
0: that's really heartwarming to hear I like that it gives you a little hope right that countries are actively seeking this extra level of stewardship
1: and I, I think it's important to remember that the marine side of things institutionally within governments it's a lot younger than the f- terrestrial side of things mm. um We've been protecting forests and, and things that we can relate to as humans, as land-based mammals a bit more. So I it definitely, like since taking marine biology at uni, I've definitely found it's a, it's a much younger industry, which also means that governments have a lot less experience and technical skills within their staff to deal with marine. So we're having
0: to build that capacity as well. Which brings me to how you got started. As you mentioned, we're land-based terrestrial animals. What got you inspired to be a marine biologist or study marine biology?
1: It's funny because I don't actually count myself as a marine biologist anymore. As someone who Mm. studies um, marine life, I I definitely fall under the conservationist category now, I think. Um, And not a lot of people make that distinction. But for me, the ology, the study of is specific so I to your listeners as well that there isn't one career when you do marine biology at university or any natural science you don't have to go into the academic side of things there's a lot more opportunities out there especially as you know we're saying this marine conservation industry is maturing so yeah I, I did a field trip so I, I grew up in Singapore my dad was working there um, and I did a field trip to Malaysia, which is just across the border, when I was 11 years old, with a company called Eco Field Trips, and they took us to Tioman Island, and we did like a short natural science, like in situ field course, where we went snorkeling and saw mangroves. I think I saw a black tip reef shark, but. That was quite a long time ago, so it could be just the stories that I'm telling myself.
0: Um, it's a black tip. It's a great tip.
1: <laughs> but apparently we all came back. When our parents picked us up, Everyone's like, I want to be a marine biologist. Um, and as I got through teenage years and was back at school in the UK, having to choose a university course, there just was nothing else that really took over that, that thought. I was looking because you can't, I was like, you can't decide when you're 11. That's just ridiculous. (laughs) So when I was trying to choose my subjects to like set myself up for university, there was nothing else that really took my fancy. So I went and studied marine biology at Plymouth University in the UK.
0: Why the UK and why Plymouth? I would think that where you were located would be better for marine biology, no?
1: Well, I'd already relocated to the UK when I was 13, okay. I think. Um, and my dad's British. And as a British citizen, it is a lot more financially viable <laughs> to go to university in the UK than, say, Australia or the States or some of the other um, like universities that I had on my horizon.
0: Economics are important.
1: <laughs> Very important. It is really important to take advantage of the opportunities that you do have at your f- footsteps, I suppose. And, and, you know, in that vein, my dad offered to help me with a master's straight after my bachelor's. Um, so I did applied marine science because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with marine biology. I was like, OK, I'm a marine biologist. What does that mean? <laughs> like, I had no idea. Um, so I did a very general master's to try and figure out what the breadth of the field was was a pretty expensive lesson in what I didn't want to do. <laughs> but those are really valuable too. those That's a really valuable experience.
0: Yes, there is almost as much value in learning what you don't like as there is what you do.
1: If anyone else is thinking about doing like a master's degree or further education on from, from a degree, I'd, I'd really recommend getting some work experience under your belt first. Even if that work is not in like the field that you're studying, even if it's not a marine biology position, just to get some workplace experience because I I found that I treated the masters as just another year of uni and I could see the mature students taking a lot more more time and, and effort with it. And having been in the workplace or, you know, start, started the career, I look back and I think, ah, if I'd known this or if I'd had this experience, I could have placed that information a lot better. It would have been more valuable to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't regret it. It's, it's brought me to where... I am today, but that's the advice I would give people.
0: That's great advice. Experience always is a is a great educator, more so than opening a textbook. And it definitely... So much more so, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so why did you choose University of Plymouth?
1: So there's a few universities at the time when I was going off um, in the UK that, that do good marine biology degrees. Newcastle, Liverpool, Plymouth, St. Andrews. And I went to a few on open days and my mum was super keen for Plymouth because a friend, a marine biologist friend had recommended it to her. Mm. I wanted to go to Newcastle because a lot of my friends from school were going there. Um, But I went down to Plymouth and it was just blue skies and sunny and (laughs) the lecturer that was doing the intro to the course looked really awesome. So I was just sold, even though they were like, it's not sunny all the time. This is not typical. Do not choose Plymouth if you think it's going to be sunny. Because <laughs> it's the UK and it's never, never that sunny. But it was in the southwest, so it was warmer than, than where I had been. Okay. Um, but in the end, yeah, it was the, it was the place. It was by the sea. It was a bit warmer. And I just really liked the lecturers that sort of presented to us.
0: When did you get dive certified? Was that while you were at Plymouth?
1: Oh no, diving in, I'm a fair weather diver. (laughs) Sorry, UK divers. I can't, I can't deal with that. Um, I learned to dive in Malaysia when I was 16. I had some very supportive parents that were like, if you want to be a marine biologist, you have to be a diver. Well, that's not actually true. I've learned, but it does help. It does Um, help. (laughs) So yeah, I did my open water when I was 16. In Malaysia? In Malaysia.
0: So beautiful coral reefs what was what was your first diving experience like um yeah
1: beautiful coral reefs they weren't alien to me they weren't particularly new because having grown up there I'd done a lot of snorkeling and and things like that Mm -hmm. um but I did like being part of the sea like you're within the 3d um yeah like aspect of the sea so that was that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. um I'm looking, I look back at my logbook from time to time, like my very first one, and it will be like, sea turtle, shark, nudibranch. And I'm like, which ones? (laughs) What's the species?
0: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You can go back and sit down with your former self and be like, listen, we need to know exactly Mm -hmm. what you saw. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You don't think it's important, but Future You is particular about species ID, so... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Take good note.
1: actually well yeah the diving and the career all ties together of course because I'm working for um a charity that runs a diving initiative but um I did my master's and I still didn't know what I wanted to do I mean this was this for me is one of the big faults of the the academic system is that you're not really shown how many different things there are to do everyone wants to, you to stay in academia Mm -hmm. to do a PhD or postdoc and professorship and like that's the career ladder and I just I don't know if I you know I did my dissertation with another research group that was based in Plymouth so I had some exposure to what academia was like and I could see that it worked really well for some people and that it I wasn't so sure about it um so I was a bit lost really And I can't say that I'm the only one. And I'm sure heaps of marine biology graduates have been in the same position as well. Um, But I actually managed to get a job with the same field trip company that took me when I was 11 to Malaysia. So I moved back to Singapore um, and started working as a field biologist for them.
0: Um, How cool is that? It came full circle.
1: (laughs) It was, it was a really nice story. <laughs> Great marketing ploy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what, what did you do for them?
1: So we led, we led the school groups. So we led groups mm-hmm. of like 11 year old Sam. A lot of the trips were to Tioman as well, which is nice um, to go back there. And and we'd run like sort of five day trips where they go snorkeling. And while we're in the water, we're pointing out the different, you know, phyla, but not calling it phyla for the younger ones Mm -hmm. um but I had to learn tropical biology basically because even though the foundations of science and the ways of thinking and and the way ecosystems work are you know the foundation is very transferable I then had to learn all the species
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and not just for the reef but we also took kids through many treks into the rainforest and the mangroves and so it was just really immersive for me um not just learning the information, but learning how to teach, learning how to control groups, learning how to inspire and empower, but still be an authority figure. Like Mm -hmm. I got my shouting voice to control groups and stuff like that. (laughs) And then, you know, on top of that, the logistics that comes with actually running the field work, um, getting the buses organized and the ferries organized and the food and dealing with dietary requirements and, you know, No job is what you think it's going to be. It's often so much more. And, Mm -hmm. you know, tying back to what we were saying earlier, that experience is so important. Because if you know the different kinds of fish, like everybody knows that, but if you can manage a project or manage people or prove to your next employer that you've got these skills that really surpass just the technical knowledge of marine biology, then you're in a much better position for 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 your career
0: it's a really good point I think that's true in almost any career any field that anybody chooses not just marine biology right like absolutely get any experience or any sort of managerial anything show some initiative start a club it just it just shows so much exactly because
1: how else can you tell if someone can actually do the grunt work you know someone can actually um take initiative and run the program well which is so much more than just knowing
0: biology very good points so how long did you work for this company what was the name again eco field trips how i was
1: there for four years i think
0: okay so you went you had a good run back with them i had
1: a good run yeah um i learned a lot um and one of the things that we did was talk to kids about conservation issues Mm mm-hmm and I got to the point where I was teaching it, and I kind of felt myself wanting to do it a bit more, yeah. rather than just talk about it. So um, I took a gap year, it was so late in my career. <laughs> um, I wasn't allowed to take one before uni. Yeah,
0: you, you probably got more out of it though by, by waiting.
1: And also because it was my career change move. Mm-hmm. I really, I was able to have some direction. I, my parents had moved to the Philippines. My mom's from the Philippines. So by that point, they'd moved back here. And um, that was an obvious starting point for me. So I I came back and looked for different um, organizations I could volunteer for and just, again, get a feel for what was available to me here. And... I started volunteering for the Thresher Shark Research and Conservation Project in Malapascua, which is a little island off the north of Cebu that has a diving industry that revolves around Thresher Shark sightings. And it's the only place in the world that you can see Thresher Sharks on a regular basis because um, they come up to this underwater shoal to these cleaning stations and get cleaned by cleaner wrasse and moon wrasse. So we'd do three dives a day, monitoring the reef, monitoring the sharks, doing like video analysis. Um, And it was just a really, really nice experience, really nice to get really involved in a group of people and live that field life.
0: (laughs) And this was all volunteer while you're working with the thresher sharks?
1: Yep, that was paid. That was quite expensive, actually. Um, but it was like meals and accommodation and the all the diving costs, running the boat and the staff and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then following that, I found um, a company called Zooks. So I was looking for jobs, um, but finding it very difficult, finding it like really hard to pull out these skills that I was talking about earlier, even though I knew I had some, which were the ones that relevant, what counts, how do you present yourself? Um, and Zooks, is a company that runs um like experience programs for early career marine conservationists whether that's coming out from university or wanting a career shift you know having an existing skill set but needing to prove that it works within the conservation um context so you do two weeks of like modules and training you on how conservation works? Like where does the money come from? And why do people choose to do some programs and not others? And um yeah, just putting yourself in the mindset of a manager rather than a biologist, as in a natural resource manager. Mm-hmm. And then six weeks you work with green fins and you're trained as an assessor and you support um the government to implement green fins. So I mean that was the start of my next wrong on the career, I guess. They so did this program and they offered me a job afterwards. It was a great internship, really.
0: Yeah, that's that's the optimal thing. You intern and then they offer you a job. That's what yeah. everybody hopes for. Wonderful. Where were you for your internship with Zooks? Was that also in the Philippines or did you That was in the Philippines,
1: that? yeah. Further north in a, a location called Puerto Galera. And so there's quite an established diving industry there. So we did this sort of two weeks training and then we all had to go brush off our stakeholder skills and start working with the diving industry. And everyone also gets a project assigned to them. So you, you come away knowing exactly the skills that you have developed on the program. Um, they give you feedback on, you know, places for improvement, the context, why it's important, you know, to have people skills or to be organized or um, feedback on how you dealt with government. If we worked with the local government. So it was really, it was a really cool experience and a really cool job afterwards to then be the mentor after being the mentee. Zooks is actually Reefworld's sister company. So we we were the same people They're the directors of Reefworld, Chloe and JJ, my bosses um, are the owners of Zooks and after a couple of years with zooks i then shifted to wear two hats and work for reefworld as well
0: so you were also a kinship conservation fellow how did that weave into with zooks and reefworld
1: i had a couple of friends that had done i mean there's so many fellowships out there mm. um, and especially there's quite a few strong ones for like conservation and some that like, even marine conservation based but Kinship was more about conservation leadership and um, the concept of using a market-based approach for conservation. So the people who started the Kinship Foundation basically looked at what's the cost for affecting all the conservation that the world actually needs to happen for us to be sustainable? Hmm. Um, and then what are the philanthropic boundaries? <laughs> like So they found that the number of money available for conservation practitioners did not equal the amount needed to implement all the conservation that we need to do so how Mm. do you bridge that gap um and sort of stepping away from the pure science and pure conservation and and very charity get a grant execute a project mindset they created a program that helps fellows think about other ways to leverage finances um not like CSR, which is just a one-way company donates philanthropic funds to a cause, Um, but could you get companies to pay to offset their impact? Or um, one of the big examples was can downstream users of a river contribute to um, the upstream users? So if a city could have a water tax that would help Um, farmers in the upstream fence their cows in so that they're maintaining the water quality. You know, all of the natural fertilizer, as it were, (laughs) isn't Mm -hmm. running into the water because the cows are kept away because the downstream users have paid for the fences. So thinking up new ways of, of either making conservation financially viable or covering the costs. And they choose 18 fellows a year. And it comes from like a big range of backgrounds and you just get to spend a month sort of reflecting on what you're doing and exploring with these other amazing
0: professionals. So what did you do during your time with the fellows?
1: Um, I was looking into GreenFins, so I bought GreenFins as a project. Um, okay. and the market there is, you know, does GreenFins membership really add value to the business of the dive operator? Are tourists choosing dive operators because they're Greenfins members or they're environmentally aware and conscious and proactive, which more and more we're finding is the case as well. Mm. People don't necessarily want to pay for more sustainable products, but they expect them as the baseline
0: mhm which is still an important mentality shift
1: absolutely I think and and you know it, maybe it makes it easier if people are willing to pay, but if if we're all just saying, look, this is the standard at which we're supposed to be living. Like, do not destroy the thing that you are making money off. Mm -hmm. Like, why kick a gift horse in the mouth kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really important stance as a consumer to take as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you have your own website, and I've been on it. And it's really fun. Mad is a com. And the title is fantastic because <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's its uh, pretty on the nose, actually. So what inspired I took you? took it
1: from um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's an <laughs> insult that someone throws at someone else. And I just thought, ah,
0: I'll have that, thanks.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I love it. So what inspired you to start your website and how often are you posting to it?
1: Oh, not as much as I wished anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> I started it... God, it must have been 2009, 2010. So I was still at Eco Field Trips and I've always been into... Um, Like, my dad's pretty techie, so I'm quite an early adopter when it comes to things like that. And I think blog platforms had just opened up well, then web 2.0, everyone's talking about it. And I was sort of tinkering around and, like, the idea of of the blog. And naturally what I could blog about was marine life, marine conservation issues. I mean, I was already quite well-versed in that at eco field trips so it just started out as a bit of fun and more and more people came asking me questions so it, it turned into a bit of an an agony aunt call for people who are <laughs> wanting to be a marine biologist um and I like to push messages of I don't know what weird wonderful things creatures have um like when evolution goes crazy basically um I like highlighting those things and also just more practical advice about what people can do day to day and then of course the career advice as well mm. people ask questions for that so tumblr has been a really nice platform for that but yeah people ask some interesting questions
0: <laughs> what's one of one of the more interesting questions you've gotten
1: I like sharks. What do you know about sharks? (laughs) I'm like, okay, where do we start? (laughs) You know, I think it's also that, um, how to say this, it's kind of like seeing the difference in in generations because a lot of the questions are coming from um, people just about to start university or thinking about it like they're in high school and they're thinking about it. Um, But people are asking me what universities they should go to. My options are this, this, and this. Which one should I go to? Don't ask a stranger (laughs) to decide your future. Um, This is how I chose. See if you can do something similar. Do your own research. I I don't want to take that process away from people because that's where you learn the most. Um, So it's kind of often holding up a mirror and just going, that's a really good question. Why don't you answer it? And here's some places you can look for some information.
0: It's a great way to get some introspective thought out of your...
1: And I think it's important, you know, from really early on to take a bit of ownership. And this is something, you know, I didn't do. I just sort of rolled like a tumbleweed from one thing to the next until until Zook's kind of woke me up to the choice of it all. Um. And I think the earlier that people start actively choosing and making informed decisions for themselves, the more successful they're going to be in the long run.
0: And everything in life.
1: In everything in life, exactly. I mean, Every- here's the thing like, my job, it's in conservation, it's working in diving, it's coral reefs. It's still a job. Like, mm-hmm. any, and I think the same with any PhD student or professor. Like, it's still a job, even if it's your dream job, not all aspects of it are dreamy and there's no there's no job out there that I know where you're just a project scientist or you know based in the field the whole time and you don't have other responsibilities to deal with that are just not sexy they're not the things that you think you're going to be doing when you're you know sat in a lecture room so being able to accept that as the reality of you know you the conservation sector exists within the real world and it needs professionals with professional experience and and skills and being able to manage a budget, you know, not just um, being able to conduct really high quality reef monitoring, for example. I think the, the earlier you start to seek out and ask for that experience, the better.
0: You bring up a really good point about it's not what people think right not you know you don't spend all day every day out on dive boats look diving with coral reefs so what does your job look like and I'm sure it changes wildly from day to day but kind of an overview of a day or two in in the life of Sam Craven
1: oh gosh you're right it is very different um day to day and the way that our field work runs we kind of go um, from like a few weeks maybe in the office day-to-day to being in the field for 10 days. So it, it's intense ups and downs in terms of activity. At the end of last year, I was in Timor-Leste doing a scoping trip to see how Greenfins could fit into the industry over there. And so that was a little bit of training, potential assessors for the future, seeing if they can pick up the concepts and... Um, are they interested in committed to carrying out the work it was meeting government officials and trying to figure out what their coral reef programs are and if greenfins fits with that it was meeting the diving industry and discussing what they perceive the issues are over there and um, you know the organizations that sort of support business growth in this new country so so that's a lot of meetings and sweating into a college shirt um but then if I'm I'm back at the office like at home it's a nine to five thirty workday, and you're just kind of catching up on all the admin that it needs to go and do those trips the <laughs> follow-up afterwards making sure that the team's happy with what they're doing reading reports providing feedback and it's all in aid of of moving this great big wheel of green fins forward. So there's always um, there's always a strong purpose, but it does not involve as much diving as one might think, or that it used to, because, you know, the further you go in your career, the less field work you tend to be.
0: Very true. That's something that I don't know if everybody thinks about, is when you start off, you probably will be in the field quite a bit because people need field techs but as you gain more experience and more knowledge and just more managerial know-how and skills the less you're going to be in the field because those are very valuable not in the field
1: yeah exactly (laughs) absolutely um and I I think don't discount as well that for for some people they're gonna want that Mm -hmm. like I find myself getting more and more tired of the travel I still enjoy it And it's still amazing to go to different places. But I also am really grateful for my time at home. And just being able to have a bit of a routine, like coming into the mid-30s, I think that has become a bit more important to me (laughs) than when I first started the career, for sure.
0: Absolutely. We all change as we get older. Thankfully, your career can as well. So you've traveled quite a bit and you've dove, I mean, on many different reefs. What do you think is the biggest threat facing our reefs in your observation? I don't think I can
1: call them my observation. I think we know scientifically, like the biggest threat are the impacts of climate change. Um,
0: is that something that you see so, out on the reef where you are as well? I mean, every do you see coral bleaching on most or all of your dives?
1: I'd say on on most, there'll be a patch of white coral, but that doesn't necessarily mean because of temperature changes. I think coral bleaching comes in waves where we are. Mm -hmm. And we've, what, one year out of a three-year bleaching event, which is crazy. It's just just insane. I remember the first time I dived during a bleaching event was 2010 in Malaysia, and it was horrific. It was just a city of white.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and to know that all of that is really stressed and may not survive. Um, yeah, it was a bit rattling. But I think what we've seen and what's becoming more and more apparent through the research is that coral reefs are extremely resilient mm-hmm. if we just leave them be. So, you know, one of the big strategies that's being pushed to protect coral reefs from the impacts of climate change is to reduce local threats, so that they're more resilient to face the larger scale global threats. Um, I liken it to, like if you're sick, if you have, I don't know, dengue and an infected cut on your foot and tonsillitis, you're probably not going to be able to <laughs> recover from that. <laughs> but what if you were only dealing with dengue? Mm-hmm. Then you know, your chance of survival is a lot higher. So that's that's really the focus of what GreenFins is trying to do, recognizing that as much of an awareness-raising tools, diving and snorkeling is, it's also creating impacts that are easily alleviated. So if we can reduce the amount of pollutants going into um, the sea from washing wetsuits and you know rental equipment, if we can stop as much as possible people from touching the reef, whether that's on purpose or accidentally with a fin brush, all of these like micro stresses all add to the greater stress that a reef is facing. And it's no surprise really that the reefs that have the fewest or the less um, like human activity around them are the ones that recover fastest from coral bleaching events. So, I mean, I think we've got to just recognize Mother Nature is incredible in the way that these ecosystems can survive, but not with the huge additional weight that sort of anthropogenic impacts put on them. So if we can alleviate those a little bit, then, you know, maybe ocean acidification, coral bleaching, trash, overfishing, (laughs) all these things are much bigger than our individual selves you know, they can be a bit more resilient to that if we control each of us, what we subject
0: these reefs to. Mm -hmm. A couple more questions before we wrap it up here. Sure. So what is, I have two favorite questions left. What is your favorite field story or stories to tell? And this could be the best day in the field, everything went right, you had just you know pristine beautiful coral reefs amazing vids and saw the coolest creatures or it could be the opposite everything went wrong and i'm laughing about it now but at the time it wasn't very funny oh
1: that's a tough (laughs) (laughs) i'm touching wood i don't think i've had anything where everything has gone wrong okay um I hope that's because of my organization skills, but it could also just be <laughs> um and I don't know if I have like a favorite a favorite field experience. It's more like a at certain times when you're training, whether it was the Zooks volunteers or the government when we're training them for green fins, when at the end of the training like you've all bonded and it's gone really well and they're super pumped to, you know, start implementing green fins or really picked up on something have had a shift and that's because of our team and and the training that they've been given that that's a really warm and fuzzy feeling for me mm-hmm. um i really i really enjoy that i really enjoy working with the network that that we have the people that join GreenFins in all the different countries they i just get so much inspiration from them i think maybe the best dive on field work I think I'm gonna say Palau Mm -hmm. when I managed to do a non-work dive sort of in the time off before traveling back and actually got the time to sort of absorb the expanse of the reef there and how healthy it was and to sort of accept the slap in the face that my baseline has shifted because what I would think of a healthy reef say, in the Philippines or Malaysia, or didn't even scratch on what I saw in Palau. And I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that reefs are supposed to be noisy, full of, you know, everything bumping, scratching, eating. I forgot what a reef was like with heaps of, you know, predators on it, big adult-sized groupers. You never see that around here. Or sharks. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty awe-inspiring and to know that even that is an impacted reef was was quite a wake-up call of like okay take note of this because yeah all our baselines of what is healthy has shifted in the last 20 years I think
0: Mm -hmm. so really illustrative stories makes me want to go dive in Palau as well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty cool.
0: (laughs) One of my other favorite questions to ask is what your favorite marine creature is, but it's listed on the Reef World website and it's listed as the harlequin shrimp, which is a really cool creature. Mm. So why is that your favorite? Mm. I think because I had
1: never seen it. (laughs) I saw it last year, actually, for the first time.
0: Was it your favorite creature Um, before you saw it?
1: I think so when I I learned to dive when I was sixteen, but it was a few years before I really got into it as a sort of a sport. Um and I started taking photos and IDing those those creatures to sort of beef up my ID skills. Um and so the macro stuff, all the little critters that you find on muck dives and things like that. Um They became the most interesting for me. I think because of the challenge to try and find them, (laughs) and of course, because I never saw the harlequin shrimp, I'd always either missed it or it wasn't there. If someone knew it was there, uh, it became that elusive thing that was my my favorite thing that I wanted to see. Also, they're just so shiny, and they they're like tiny little shrimp, and they eat. Like, they tear the arms of starfish. I just think it's quite incredible. So for me, it's a toss-up between, like, the harlequin shrimp and then I'm just a huge nudibranch fan. Mm. I just think they're really cool. Um, to sort of evolve away from a shell that mollusks typically have to being toxic and poisonous to eat or you know, sequestering stinging cells from... from um, Nidarians and then putting them in your in your gills I mean, it's just biology is really crazy like the, it, it the kind of thing that reminds me why i got into this work in the first place and that was curiosity about nature and and in the sea that being like even more strange <laughs> so yeah harlequin shrimp or new banks.
0: very otherworldly creatures and beautiful <laughs> <laughs>
1: Except that they're in our world, right I think that's right, right? That's the thing that that people don't recognize, mm-hmm. and you know even even those of us who have been working in it, we're still in awe of it, and yet it is in our world, it does exist, and Absolutely. yeah, when you think about like alien being based off of deep sea creatures and things like that, we're looking at it otherworldly, but actually it's part of our world, and we've got ways to protect them
0: very true which brings us to the conservation ask so uh, we kind of chatted earlier via email about it what do you have for the audience
1: I think whether you are marine biology student or you're wanting to go like if that's why you're listening to this podcast I just remind everyone that they're also consumers and that you can put your money where your mouth is And I think more than anything, my experience has shown me that a market will respond to a consumer demand. So whether that's only choosing to dive with Greenfin's members from now on, that would be great. (laughs) Thank you, guys. Um, Or whether it's avoiding that snack because it's single-use plastic and that one is sort of free, not wrapped, or... um, making sure that the companies that you're buying from have sustainability in mind, you know, look into the websites, ask people for this information because the more of us that ask for it or demand it, the more it's going to become apparent. I mean, just look at how even the way that we eat is changing more and more plant based mm-hmm. foods are coming out more and more companies are like really focusing on, on you know, that market and, and getting those consumers on. I think we can do the same with everything that we do. Like, do you really need to participate in Black Friday? Do you need all those things? Because think about the, the chain of production, where it's come from natural resources, everything it's taken to ship all these things around the world. Like we're just, we're asking a lot from the world at the moment. And I think as a consumer, we can we can ask more carefully.
0: It's a great point and a great ask. And to also think, you know, before I buy anything or if I'm considering something, what's the end life of it? And try to make it more circular as we realize that recycling yeah. isn't, isn't as uh, widely done and available as previously thought. Exactly.
1: And, you know, in the same vein, if that's going to be my ask, my other ask would be, <laughs> be kind to yourselves you know don't beat yourself up if you haven't been able to stick to those values completely because yeah you, you can't be perfect in this world there's too much there's too much choice out there so you know, make a decision but give yourself a break and just keep trying at it rather than saying I failed at being a sustainable consumer I'm gonna give up <laughs> do, do 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 what do whatever you can right. and if that's not the day for it okay but you know you've got the next day and the next day absolutely so that would be my my double ask is to do it but not beat yourself up if you fall short just to keep trying
0: perfect if uh listeners want to find you where is the best place to get a hold of you
1: i think instagram or twitter probably okay i think twitter is mad as a marine bio (laughs) and instagram is mad as a marine biologist and then on tumblr that's the blog Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um That's mattasmarinebiologist.tumblr.com.
0: Perfect. I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes as well.
1: Thank you. And you can check out greenfins.net if you're looking for an environmentally conscious dive or snorkel operator.
0: (laughs) Worldwide.
1: (laughs) Worldwide. 12 countries. Well, 11, 12, and 13 coming up this year, hopefully.
0: That's exciting. Very cool. Well, I'll put a link to all of that and everything we chatted about in the show notes. Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was lovely chatting with you.
1: Cara, thank you for having me. Really nice to chat with you.
0: Hey, one more thing. Do you want to dive more into the ocean and marine biology? Need a little guidance on ocean conservation? Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources. We've got book recommendations, job posting pages, conference suggestions, and ocean-friendly products. All recommendations have been personally vetted by me, and I will continue to add to the collection as I come across cool things to share. Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources to learn more. See you over there. Thank you for listening to today's show. I'd love to hear any insight you've gleaned. Leave a comment in the show notes or send me an email over at marinebio.life. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. If you want more resources for ocean news, including conservation topics and careers, plus personal insight from me that I just don't share anywhere else, join me at marinebio.life and sign up for email updates. Keep after your dreams and making waves in your community. One person can make a difference. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast.